Welcome to Legislative Breakdown, a podcast from Boise State Public Radio. I'm Samantha Wright with Gary Moncrief, Boise State University political science professor. He spends all his spare time studying legislatures around the country, including Idaho's. And in this podcast, we break down the Idaho legislature, what's happening. We drill down into the why and the how it affects you. And this week, our very special guest is reporter Betsy Russell with the Spokesman Review. But before we sit down with Betsy, Gary, what's going on? Well, I think this is a very important topic for us to discuss, and that's the role of the media and how that has adapted and changed over time. In a time when states are as important as they are, it's incumbent upon citizens to understand what's going on in the state house. And the people that help us understand that in particular is the press. And the press in this instance means a lot of different folk. And one of the things that many people in the United States are concerned about is the, the loss of some of that media in the United States. Because of the economics of the situation, we've seen a lot of, especially print journalism, go away. The Pew Center on, on the media finds in the last 15 years or so, about 35 percent fewer reporters are covering the state house than were prior to that. And this is essential in a democratic system to have an independent, nonpartisan media. In a times where so many people are talking about fake news and uh, kind of making up alternative facts, it's really important that the general public have access to objective, factual information about the legislature. In Idaho, we have a very small press corps, but it's a very good press corps in my estimation. We have just a handful of journalists that are covering in the kind of traditional newspaper way the Idaho legislature. When I first came to this state, there were probably 25 people in the press room, maybe 30. The Idaho statesmen alone probably had three or four people. I know they had three or four people covering the legislature on a daily basis. The Associated Press, which was a wire service, had five or six people on staff. All of those groups have been pared back today so that there's many fewer people than there used to be. On the other hand, there, uh, the people we have are very good, very committed, and that includes Betsy Russell. And you may know Betsy Russell from the Spokesman Review. She does the Eye on Boise blog, which is the ultimate, the, the place to go if you want to find out what's going on in the legislature during the legislative session and, and actually all year round, but uh, especially during the session. And Betsy, hello. How are you? Good morning. We are actually down in the State House in the press room where Betsy uh, spends a good bulk of her time. How long have you been covering the Idaho legislature? On and off for a very, very long time. <laughs> um, way back in the late 80s when I was the city hall reporter for the Idaho Statesman, I used to come to the legislative session part-time whenever city officials, such as then-Mayor Dirk Kempthorne, came over to give a speech or to ask the legislature for something. And then later on, I did cover the legislature full-time for the statesman. And then I was up in Coeur d'Alene as the Idaho editor for the Spokesman Review, supervising our legislative coverage for five years. And then I moved back down here in the mid-'90s and have been doing this full-time since. How long have you had the Ion Boise blog? We started it in 2004, and there weren't a lot of blogs around at that point, and it was kind of an experiment. And we also started at the same time the Ion Olympia blog, which didn't really take off the way the Ion Boise one did. For some reason in Idaho, people really had an interest in what was going on 
day-to-day and moment-to-moment in their legislature in a way that people in the state of Washington didn't, I think. It's grown and evolved into a very large part of what I do. A very large part. I looked back at one day last week, and there were 10 different stories on one day from you on the legislature. Not, you know, four stories on the same meeting. There were 10 different stories in depth, what happened on 10 different topics at the legislature, which begs the question, how do you do what you do every single day? And I know you don't have an intern this year. How do you do that? What's your typical day like? Well, during the legislative session, my day is pretty crazy. (laughs) And this year has been particularly so because of the pace that the legislature set. I get to the Capitol typically before 7 a.m. to get a parking spot. Since I can't seem to rent one anymore in downtown Boise, I haven't been able to for the last two years. I plan my day the night before. I look at all the agendas. And I cover my first meetings usually at 7.30 or 8, depending on what's going on. And I go from one to the next to the next between um, committee meetings and floor sessions of the House and Senate, press conferences, rallies, protests, whatever else happens to be going on in the Capitol. And... Often, multiple things are happening at the same time. On a day, obviously, when I've covered 10 different things, some of those were happening at the same time. And it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's a real challenge. And so I resort to sometimes trying to listen to two at once, which is incredibly challenging. <laughs> Other times, recording one while I cover another and then going back and listening to it. I remember a a week or two ago, I found myself down here at 6 o'clock at night listening to my recording of that morning's 8 a.m. JFAC session so that I could write (laughs) what decision they made on an agency budget. And I thought, geez, I got to time this thing better. (laughs) But that's kind of how it goes. And and so I am lucky to be out of here by 6 p.m., often at 7, even later. How many actual... State House reporters that you would consider to be here most of the time during the session. How many of them do you think there are at this point? We're between 8 and 12 right now, which is pretty good, actually. And the total number of credentialed capital correspondents is almost 60. So how's the role of the media changed in, in reporting on State House activities, or has it changed over the years? You know, I was thinking about this. I'm not sure that it's really changed at all. What I did when I covered stories that didn't appear until the next day's paper was still essentially the same thing, perhaps at a less frenetic pace, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, that I do today. The role of the press is to let the people know what their elected representatives are doing, and that's still what I do. Perhaps I'm doing more of it, and that it's happening in real time does make a difference. For example... We had a lot of the news media in Idaho, including myself, reporting on what appeared to be an illegal closed meeting of a Senate committee recently. And there were reporters, including Melissa Davlin of Idaho Public Television, who was pounding on the door saying, you're violating the open meeting law. And it didn't take until the next day for that news to come out of the newspaper. Mm -hmm. It was all over Twitter. (laughs) It was out immediately. And the press reports, and in my role as president of the Capital Correspondents Association, I immediately informed the leadership that this was going on, caused the repercussions to be near immediate as well. And that chairman was called out by his leadership right away, and the action that the committee had taken was vacated, and I I thought that was very interesting. I think that the impact of news reporting can be more immediate Mm -hmm. on the actual events that happen here now simply because 
reporting in real time, but it's still the same impact. Right. So if your job's the same, do you think the job of the legislature or the way the legislature works has changed over time? Yeah, I think the way the legislature works has changed over time. And and I'm not sure that's because of technology. I think it may be because of the the changing personalities who make up the legislature. Uh, the legislators themselves interact in different ways than they used to. And you'll hear a lot of them say, those who have been around for a long time, that it used to be more fun, mm-hmm. that there used to be more collegiality. Certainly, there seems to be a lot of bitter divide over ideological, Mm -hmm. perhaps partisan, or even just plain political differences these days among legislators. What are one or two stories that you're most proud of over the years that you've been doing this? You know, looking back, in the late 90s, I did a series called The Price of Punishment, and it was about why Idaho at that time had the third fastest growing prison population, but one of the lowest crime rates in the country. And after extensive analysis, it was one of my first big computer-assisted investigative reporting projects, I discovered that nearly a quarter of Idaho's prison population was behind bars for four crimes that were not even felonies in other states. Hmm. And those four crimes were simple drug possession, which was number one, DUI, small-time bad checks, and driving without privileges. And since then, there have been some reforms. And in fact, I was just looking at the stats this morning, and we now actually have slightly more of our inmate population in on assault than we do on drugs, but not a lot more. And although some things have changed over the years, drug sentencing is one thing that has not. The whole justice reinvestment push that Idaho's been in for the last couple of years has been aimed at changing that. Back when I did that story, 78% of the people in prison were nonviolent offenders. I don't know exactly what that figure is right now, but the idea of justice reinvestment is that the people in prison should be the dangerous ones and the rest should be somehow being helped to become productive members of society again. When I did that story, A particularly interesting piece of it was looking at how the legislature passes bills about crime. And basically, at that point, I'd been covering the legislature for some time, and I'd seen this happen over and over again. A sobbing victim would come to a hearing. Legislators would be outraged, and they would throw the book, and they would create new felonies and longer and harsher sentences, and everyone would congratulate themselves about how tough on crime we were being. And that was the only focus in the legislature. And at that time, all the um, powerful legislators who I interviewed about that said, yes, that's what we wanted it. And we saw the result. If you were queen for a day and could change anything about the legislature itself, what would it be? It would be so nice if the legislature listened more to the people who come to speak to it, to testify at hearings. We have all these big hearings where people come from all over the state and they speak incredibly emotionally about their own personal lives and the way that they're impacted by the policies that are set by legislators. And so often it seems like the legislators who are being presented with these stories just let it go right over their head and maybe vote along party lines or vote the way they had decided before they walked in. It's disconcerting to see that disconnect. It's a really interesting process when we hear in depth how the policies that are set in the state capitol affect people. And it I would like to see legislators listen more. Good. So, okay, the end of the session 
explain this to me because I'm still confused about what's going to happen. In the past, in all the years that I've covered the legislature, we had signy die, which meant the last day of the legislature and all the lawmakers would finish up all their bills, send them off to the governor, hit the gavel, go home. That's not the way it's going to be this year, right? And why? (laughs) Well, we had an Idaho Supreme Court decision that said, you know what, under the way we've been doing it all these years doesn't fit with the Constitution. Actually, we should have been doing it differently. (laughs) And all bills should be presented to the governor before the legislature adjourns sine die. Otherwise, they're null and void. So this, of course, is prompting some big changes in how the legislature approaches the timing at the end of the session. They don't want to work all session on all these bills and then just have them be null and void because of not getting through a process. And the process takes a couple days. Once a bill has passed both houses to get it signed by both chambers and stamped and whatever and delivered down to the governor's office, they think they can do it in two to three days. It could take up to five days. And so the legislative leadership has talked for the past year about some various options, including, you know, administrative session at the end. They didn't institute anything like that. So instead, what it appears they're moving toward is to finish up all their business and then kind of remain in session, just sitting around and <laughs> while all those bills are transmitted down to the governor's office because they cannot adjourn sine die, which means without a day, without a day that they'll come back until all those bills have delivered or they risk losing them. Now, then there's the additional wrinkle of what if the governor might veto one of the bills that they've passed? If they want a chance to override that veto, they would have to stay here for five days after the bill was presented because that's how long the governor has to sign or veto the bill or it becomes law without his signature. So the goal for the legislature this year was to wrap up all its work by March 23rd. They're moving fast, partly because they've shunted a lot of the big bills off and not dealt with them, like health care. Uh, and they may get done earlier than that, but they probably, even if they got done a couple days before that, wouldn't adjourn sine die until the 23rd because they'd allow a couple extra days for passing bills back and forth. Or maybe they get done on the 23rd, they come back the next week and do the passing bills around thing. And sit around and wait until everything's finished, finished. And all that is assuming that there's not some last minute wrinkle, some fight that holds them up. And there almost always is. (laughs) Um, So far, we've heard that there's an unresolved fight between the legislature and the governor and the legislature in itself and the legislature and the superintendent of schools over the Idaho reading indicator, the test for early reading competency. That hasn't been resolved yet. There's still the health care bill. Will the governor make any last minute move to try to get that considered. It was pulled from the House floor without a vote. And any number of things can come up at the end of the session that can derail their plans. However, the leadership has been saying, at this point, it doesn't, you know, we think we might get out of here without a big controversy and not have to wait five days. Well, Betsy, we want to thank you for uh, letting us invade some of your time. I know it's a very busy time for you. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Glad to do it. Legislative Breakdown is a podcast from Boise State Public Radio. I'm Samantha Wright with Boise State Political Science Professor Gary Moncrief. Our original music comes from local artist and composer Will Hall of the bands Nude, Dude, and Like the Dog. 
If you like this podcast, shout it out on Twitter or Facebook. And remember, it's your legislature. Thanks for listening.